The following conversation originally aired on The Point on KPOV 88.9 FM High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. Airing weekdays at 9 a.m., The Point is a half-hour, locally produced show focusing on people and events in Central Oregon. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of The Point. I'm Louise, speaking to you from our KPOV studio. Our guest this morning is George Endicott, outgoing mayor of Redmond. Well, good morning, George Endicott, and welcome back to the Wednesday Point. So, you have been in the news a lot lately, and we are honored to have you join us on the Wednesday Point. Thank you for your time. Oh, sure. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, so like I said, you've been in the media a lot lately. Last May, you announced that you would not be seeking re-election as mayor of Redmond after serving in that position for 14 years. Before we step back in time and look at your history, talk to us about what the last few months of your tenure as mayor have been like. Well, of course, you know, there was a big election. I mean, uh, I remember that. Yeah, a replacement for me. So uh, that consumed an awful lot of time and energy, uh, both by myself and others, of course, those running. You know, once you make a decision like that, uh, believe it or not, I I mean, you get a lot more relaxed, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, you're constantly, I guess, uh, I don't know how to put it, but sort of in a state of tension. You know, when you're mayor, you're always paying attention to the next meeting, the next issue, you know, going on the radio, et cetera, et cetera. So all those things that you focus on and take up your attention. And, uh, you know, I put in 20, 30 hours a week, I would say, over time being mayor and, um, you know, the last few months, I've just been able to kind of uh, back off from that amount of involvement. Not that I've ignored things, but more relaxed. So you are kind of like my husband. You're the Energizer Bunny. Are you going to be able to step back and relax? Well, I may find something else to do. I don't know what. Yeah, um I figured that. I certainly didn't run for any other office, you know, but I I mean, I have some hobbies. Um, You know, we own 10 acres, so I've been out there. In fact, I spent all day yesterday on my backhoe working on filling in some ditches and stuff that needed to be worked on. So there's always something. And then, of course, we're going to do some traveling, and that takes up a lot of time and energy. When I lived in Europe, you know, I used to plan trips all the time and and I, you, you've traveled, and so you know the amount of time it takes to plan a, a well-organized trip. And so I'll be doing a lot of that. So you are actually a native to Central Oregon, born in Redmond, when Redmond had a population of 2,000 people. So let's take a step back in time. Mm. Tell us about your early years in Redmond and what, what you loved about it. Well, I, I don't remember it being that small, but maybe it was. Uh, that was 1948. I thought it was about 3,500, but maybe it was 2,000. Of course, it was a small community. And everybody knew everybody. We used to tease that we couldn't get away with anything in town because all of the mothers, you know, and that was the days when men worked, women did other things. And, of course, all of our mothers were members of a bridge club. And you couldn't get away with anything. So you kind of <laughs> had to behave yourself, you know, or at least it appeared well, that way. Well, you kind of still do. Well, yeah, I'm, you know, you're in the public spotlight now. So, yeah, you still have to behave ourselves. But uh, when you're a kid, you don't really think about those things till your mother comes home from bridge says, I heard about you boys turning <laughs> over an outhouse. you got to stop that, you know. But, boy, talk about changes, you know, from, from those early days. And I was talking to somebody just the other day about the volunteer fire department. And in those days, our fathers were all members of the fire department. And, you know, if there was a, the siren in the middle of town and go off and they'd all go rushing down and jump on a fire truck and go fight a fire. Today, of course, all the crews are professionals. So that's probably one good example of how things have changed so much. And you actually fought fires. I, my dad did. I did not. Okay. I, was okay. Not I thought I read that you helped 
save. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I know what you're talking about. There was an incident when the uh, Titanot mine burned down, uh, mill burned down over, geez, by Antler Avenue, and uh, my uncle owned a uh, gas storage facility, 10,000 gallons of gasoline, and so we're up on top of the tanks with hoses watering down the land between us and where the fire was. We were trying to prevent a fire as opposed to fight a fire. Gotcha. And we succeeded, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Then you went off to school at COCC, mm-hmm. and you had some pretty interesting careers for serving in the military and earning a Purple Heart, mm-hmm. then back to school at OSU, earning a degree in economics, mm-hmm. a variety of gigs to follow, my gosh, working for the U.S. Department of Labor, the U.S. Army, NATO, and even an, an intelligence position at the Pentagon, working directly for the Secretary of Defense and Head of Information Technology for the Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. How the heck did you get into local politics from there? Uh, well, local politics goes actually way back to the 70s when I was living in Seattle. And a woman, Joy Macklin, she was a wonderful person, and she wanted to form a new city called that exists today. It's called Newcastle. It's between uh, Bellevue and Renton, Washington. And I lived there. It was an unincorporated area of the county. And so um, she got this this uh, brainstorm of creating a new city. And so I got tangled up in that. And I was doing all of the econometric modeling, revenues, um, expenditures, all that. Did, in other words, did it make sense financially to form a city? And we determined it did. And eventually, after my tenure there, uh, Newcastle did get formed and exists today. And that got me hooked on local stuff. And ever since then, off and on, I've been involved. I was in Prince William County, Virginia. I was the chair of the planning commission there. And those tend to be local. The counties there act like local governments. They have police and all that. So it was almost like a 400,000-person city. And then from there, when I came home, I talked to Alan Unger about getting back involved in Redmond. That was 03. So in 04, I went on the planning commission. 05, unfortunately, a guy named Paul Hathaway died in office. So... uh Alan appointed me to replace him, so since then I've been involved in local government. So you were on the planning commission in 04. What types of things were you planning for back then? Mm, well, I don't even remember. Um, well, the reroute was just finishing, and so how the bypass. did... Yeah, the bypass. Yeah. Uh, so we were trying to figure out how in the world do we... Um, Rebuild Fifth and Strict Street. The city hall was starting to come apart, you know, a maintenance nightmare. So how do we get a new city hall? How do we expand the airport, uh, which we were in the middle of right then, expanding the terminal? So those were the issues then when I first became mayor. And then, of course, as you probably read an article the other day, we had to come up with a new city manager. That was part of that. So, All of those different positions that you held, what skills did you learn in those careers that best prepared you for politics at the local level? Well, I tease people. I say, you know, when you're working in the Pentagon dealing with generals, you learn how to really negotiate. They're a tough crowd. And, uh, you know, they're fighting it out over over, you know, big policy decisions at the national level, and I was involved in a few of those. So, you know, you you learn how to listen, you learn how to negotiate, you know, you learn how to deal with people. And, you know, probably one of the biggest, I think, is be respectful. You know, no matter who it is, 
everybody's entitled to their opinion, their idea. You may or may not like it. You might think it's radical. You might think it's crazy, but you still have to be respectful. So looking back at your career in its entirety, are you surprised at what you've accomplished or do you have advice for maybe someone who's young and maybe afraid to take that leap and go that Mm. far, like working in the Pentagon? That's a good question. You know, I've been extremely lucky in my career. A lot of that, I think, is just hard work. I've always had my nose to the grindstone. You know, Louise mentioned a few minutes ago that I may not know how to relax, and that that might be true, because I've always really worked hard at whatever I was doing and trying to accomplish jobs. And occasionally, you're thrown into a job that you don't expect. One year, my boss sent me to what's called the Defense Science Board, which is a bunch of high rollers. I mean, these are retired secretaries of defense, four-star generals, people like that. And he said, you're going this year representing our office, do a good job. Scratch your head and go, okay, boss, and did a good job. So, you know, those kinds of things, you just have to be willing to, to make the leap. So, George, you became a computer scientist before most people knew what that job was. What sparked your interest in technology and computers? Hmm. Well, that, it's called practicality, really. When, when I was uh, working in in Seattle with Department of Labor, I was a program analyst. And so we had some rather rudimentary computer systems we were using to do um uh, analysis on our programs and we got a new computer in and so I got really fascinated with how it worked and doing things like fuzzy logic that we could never do before that and so I just got hooked and, and actually I was lucky enough that I was going down to Berkeley a couple of weeks every few months and uh, uh, ended up working uh, with a computer and I got to where I was doing more computer than I was doing analysis and so I became a systems programmer and then got into programming and from there got into uh, doing systems analysis and finally led to information technology as a, as a strategic tool. So, George, I know you've been asked this in almost every interview I've heard, so we would be remiss if we didn't ask. Your legacy, what accomplishment are you most proud of in your 14 years as Redmond mayor, and how did that come to be? Well, and I, I'll give you the consistent answer I've given. <clears throat> I, I mean, there's a lot of things we did that were pretty fantastic, but the one I'm most proud of really at the final analysis would be Hope Playground. And the reason for that. Um, three mothers one time came to council, it was in February, I remember, and they were lamenting the fact that we had an old wooden structure down in Sam Johnson Park that one of the, the ladies had a disabled child that couldn't use the playground. You know, you have wood chips for the kids to fall in, and that's surrounded by uh, railroad ties. And so how do you get a wheelchair over a railroad tie and roll around in wood chips? You can't. And so they asked us to, to build this new playground structure. And so one thing led to another. We put those three mothers on the committee, along with several others, our public works people and our uh, planning people, and ended up building a million-dollar playground, which at the time was the largest and most complex, I'll say, um, totally accessible playground in the state of Oregon, and some argued in the whole Pacific Northwest. So whether a child, you know, was on crutches or in a wheelchair or was autistic or was blind, any of those things, they could come and use that playground and play with their friends just like, you know, you would if if you did not have a handicap. And so um, to me, the day we cut the ribbon on that was one of the proudest days of really being mayor. That is so cool. On the other hand, what is the biggest challenge you faced as mayor, and what would you do differently? Mm. Well, probably the biggest challenge is growth. 
you know, we're growing today at about four people a day. And just chasing infrastructure is a, is a huge issue. I don't know that there's anything we can do different given the state land use laws and, uh, you know, the amount of money you have available. I, I mean, I hate to cop out, but I don't know of anything we could do differently than we have been doing. Um, I've been trying to keep our focus on what I call the big four, you know, public health, i.e. clean water, et cetera, public safety, police, you know, keeping our community safe, infrastructure, making sure the roads, pipes and all that are good and then economic development, having enough growth on the economic side to keep up with the growth in population. So it's hard for me to say I'd do something differently because I think we've chased it pretty hard and done pretty good. So in the future, Redmond City government will look very different starting January 1st. Two new city councilors plus one that's been only on the council for a year and a new mayor. What advice would you give these folks to help them on their new journey? Oh, boy. Well, I just mentioned it. Pay attention to the big four. You know, we're easily diverted into other issues, I think. You know, I, I'm watching Bend and, and bless Bend, you know. But when I see them focusing so much on, well, like the other day, they decide they're, they're going to do away with uh, uh, required parking. I think that's a big mistake, personally, but I don't run Bend. So I would not do that. I would, I mean, we're still going to have automobiles. We're still going to have those kinds of things. So I would say focus on those big four and do your best to stay away from global warming. It's not our issue. There's not a damn thing we can do about it really that makes a difference you've also mentioned of course the the topic of homelessness comes mm. up often you've said don't touch that it's the third rail what do you mm. mean by that there's no solution right now uh, i don't know if there is one my argument is if there was one we would have already done it somewhere unless you want to throw i think it's kansas city's put something like 16 million dollars into homelessness you know you can do that but we don't have 16 million dollars and so i just don't see a solution out there other than some of the things we're doing right now we also have court restrictions on us you know providing a place for people to sleep versus camping you know i say go ask portland how how well it works to try and deal with the issue i just i i think it's a no-win so be having a career in politics isn't easy because you're facing like scrutiny you can't please everyone mm -hmm. so i was curious how do you develop a thick skin for that career Good question yeah, that is a great question. You know, it's funny. My wife is also on council, and she and I talk about that. And, of course, we got a lot of criticism when we were both running at the same time. And, and you know, to me, you, you just you focus on the things that matter, and you don't focus on the things that don't matter. And not everyone, you just have to accept the fact that not everybody is going to agree with you on, on the issues you bring up. You know, the probably the best example, which I'm loath to bring up, but that whole Confederate flag issue last summer, there was no winning argument for that. You were on one side or the other, being former military and, and so forth, and some of my background, I happen to believe that First Amendment is paramount. You know, our Constitution's paramount over any local ordinances or rules or anything like that, and so we should focus on what matters. And you have to take the lumps when they come. So, lastly, because as usual, we're running out of time, anything that you wish you could have gotten done before retiring as mayor that didn't happen? Yeah, and I'm trying to think of what it was. 
you know, I, I wish we could have done a more complete job of putting in. I, I wanted the quarry interchange pretty desperately down south of town to be able to get to that large lot industrial that we worked long and hard to get that 960 acres. And to make that really attractive to businesses coming into Redmond, you need easy access, and we don't have it right now. So I just wish I'd convinced ODOT to give us $50 million. But that, that was a bit of a struggle. That, I, I'm sure. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and for our program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.